I am a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. I live for him. He's my God and my saviour. I owe everything to him. Uh, he saved my life from the pit, literally. Just to share a tiny bit of my testimony, I was violently assaulted when I was nine years old. And that part of me, that little boy, fragmented off and was never healed, was never um, restored, was never counselled. And um, for a time, I seemed to get away with it. But from my early teenage years to my early 30s, I would call that the dark ages of my life. Really dark depression. Um, I'm a very determined person. I don't know anyone more determined than me. But my determination, my effort to get myself through it, to will myself free, just would not work. I could not do it. And uh, I was in a church context that didn't really minister the Holy Spirit, didn't really minister inner healing. And I think they probably saw me as someone who gobbled up all the time of the pastor, of the, 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 the faithful people, and, you know, I was never going to get healed. But God has different plans to the enemy. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to abundance. And when you get that kind of life, after that kind of brokenness, there's something of passion in your life. <laughs> you believe in a Jesus who can change the world around you. If you've experienced it, you're worth 10 people who've got a theology. Experience trumps theology. And I love theology. I'm not saying we shouldn't have theology. Doctrine determines where we're going to go. However, an experience will change your life. An impartation which brings transformation will cause us to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. So my life belongs to him and I'm very passionate about him. And I like to think that's the defining factor of my life. But passion by itself isn't enough. Passion is strength. Passion, in a way, is worship. And where we put our passion, we worship. And the passion we carry is the most powerful thing we have, which is why the devil's after it, and God wants us to give it freely to him. The devil will steal it. He'll, he'll take it any way he can. He'll manipulate you. He'll coerce you. He'll do whatever. But God wants us to freely, willingly, gladly, joyfully give him our passion. Give him our strength. It's the one thing that he won't take. It's the one thing that the enemy can't take. We have the choice of where we put that passion. And I think you're people who could put that passion in, uh, in, towards Jesus. And that's why you're here. And that's why you're church planting. And that's why you care about the lost. Because if we have passion for Jesus, we'll have passion for who he cares about. And the causes that he cares about. So, But passion by itself is not enough. All that power... I mean, I've got some power tools in my in my lockup at home, but am I going to give them to Anna at 22 months old? She's got lots of passion. She's a very passionate person. Am I going to give her those power tools? Not until she's got a vision. (laughs) Not until she knows what to do with it. (laughs) Vision is very, very important for us to be fruitful in our ministry down here on earth. To put the mustard seed of faith that we have in the right place so we can be effective in reaching a lost and broken world for Christ. I want to be effective. Do you? We have a huge mandate. Make disciples of all the nations. Tell every creature. But we are finite human beings. We've got the, the Holy Spirit living in us who's eternal, who's immortal, who's full of power. But we are limited to one body. Amen? We go where our body goes. Our spirit goes where our body goes. If our spirit goes where our body isn't going, we're in trouble. 
So we need God to narrow down that vision to a way, to a size that we can actually cope with, that we can actually, we can, we can strategize and we can begin to bring that vision in. Because no man or woman will live bigger than their vision. What is your vision this morning? Is it to survive? I don't think it is. I think it's bigger than that. But I come across many Christians, and I was one myself, whose vision was simply to survive, to not let the enemy kill me. Well, Jesus came to give us life, and that more abundantly, he's got a bigger vision for us than that. Amen? He will take the broken ones and turn them into healers and restorers. He'll take the fearful ones and make them as bold as a lion. (laughs) He will radicalize our lives. He will make, we can have as much of God as we want. He's no respecter of persons. It's not about, well, he's on the stage, he's speaking, he's got that. No, it's about who, whosoever will. God will be serious about who's serious about him. Jesus goes where he's wanted. Amen? The Holy Spirit is most present where he's most wanted and most needed. And I want him very, very much. (laughs) I want to be a magnet for the presence of God. I want to carry that wherever I go and not be affected by the spiritual atmospheres around me. The kingdom of God is greater than the dominion of darkness. Jesus has won. He's victorious. Amen? But I live my Christian life as if it was in the balance. Has Jesus really won? Does he really have authority over evil spirits? Does he really have authority over darkness? Can he really heal? I'd never seen it. I lived in a, I, I was um, brought up in a church that had great theology and the word of God, but I didn't see people experiencing that kind of life. I certainly didn't see a whole, a whole load of joy going on. I think joy is one of the first markers of the Holy Spirit's presence. And the absence of joy is often the first marker of his departure. So we, we should be filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And I'm saying that to myself because, you know, I can be as miserable as the best of them. Life gets on top. I mean, I'm not here in a vacuum. <laughs> Life hasn't always been easy. Life hasn't always been easy for you. But I've tested and proved the perfect will of God. And here I am today talking to you about passion and vision. Passion is power. Passion is the engine that drives the juggernaut of the kingdom of God. God needs enthusiastic people. Amen? Are you enthusiastic this morning? God is good. He's in the house. He wants to touch us. He wants to transform us. He wants to meet with us. There's a lost and dying world out there. He desperately wants to save. He's only got human beings to work with. He's looking for people to passionately respond and say, yes, here I am, send me. Vision is the GPS. Vision is the steering system that shows us where to go. There are many minefields in life. Have you noticed that? There are lots of things that want to blow us up and destroy us. We need the GPS of the Holy Spirit to strategize, to be able to bring the vision that God has given us forward. Some people say, I've got a vision. Wonderful. Hallelujah. But what are you going to do with that vision? (laughs) Because vision without passion, it's like sitting in a helicopter on top of the Empire State Building. Glorious views. You could go anywhere. Except the rotors are removed and there's no fuel in the tank. That's what someone with vision but no passion will look like. And they'll come along to me, Pastor, we should be doing this. Pastor, we should be doing that. We should have a new program over there. And I'm thinking, when's the last prayer meeting you ever came to? When did you last put some chairs out? When did you last help somebody else? (laughs) It's wonderful you're having all these visions, but what are you actually bringing to birth? (laughs) Vision is wonderful, but to bring something to birth is going to be painful. It might be a lifetime's work 
to bring the vision that God has given you to birth. I hope it's a lot quicker than that. I hope you have many visions. But scripturally, it seems like often it's a lifetime's work for someone to bring a vision that God has given them to birth and they would never get there if their tank wasn't full of passion. Because we're going to have many opportunities to give up. Amen? The enemy gives me opportunities every week. You've had enough. People can't speak to you like that. You're only trying to do the right. How dare they? He every day will give an opportunity to damp down, to let the vision just, oh, let's not be so extreme. Let's not be so radical. Yes, let's be extreme. Let's be radical. Let's believe God for his kingdom to come in our time. Let's believe for him to renew his works in our days. Amen? He's the same God yesterday, to get, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed. Amen? I was brought up believing in a historic God that once used to work and once used to bring miracles and once used to you know, activate his people and buildings would shake and he'd walk on water and, and thousands would be said, I, I, I worship the historic God. And I still do, but I worship a God of the now. Amen? And I worship a God of my future and your future. And we're going to be with him in glory. Hallelujah. No more tears, no more sighing, no more pain. However, here we are today and there's a world that needs to hear about Jesus. And that's why we're here. Amen? To get a passion for Jesus and to get a vision to tell people about him. To love them back to life. Amen? I needed loving back to life. You probably needed loving back to life. There are people all over the place need loving back to life. We won't love them back to life if we're not full of passion because they'll give us so many opportunities to reject them. They'll give us so many opportunities to agree with the lies that the enemy's put in their mind. It's hopeless, I'll never get there. It's all just conceptual. No. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of power. Amen? A kingdom of power. A kingdom where we should expect to experience God on a daily basis. Amen? I want to know if the Holy Spirit's lifting off my life. I want to detect it immediately and get back to God. And, yeah, God, I can't, I can't live a moment. I can't live a day without your Spirit, without your guidance in my life. So passion and vision together, wow, that is combustible power. That is atomic power. Pfft. People with passion and vision are the people who are going to bring transformation in our nation, in our world. Amen? Passion and vision together are immensely powerful. They're bedfellows. If they're together in your heart, you are going to be powerful. You are going to be influential. No one is going to be able to stop you. Ultimately, nobody else can stop us achieving God's destiny for our lives. It's, it's us whether we choose to opt out. It's us whether we choose to dial down. Well, that was all very extreme. I was younger then. I was free. I didn't have a wife and a child. I could, have, I could go there. I could go there. I could do, do. No. I want to stay radical. I want to stay passionate about Jesus and see what he will do. I haven't seen a tenth of what I'm longing for. I haven't seen a tenth of what God can do. But does that mean I'm going to stop? No. I'm going to push in harder, push in harder for the grace of God to be released. I don't know why we don't see everything that was in the book of Acts. Maybe you are. I hope you are. We're not in my church, but I believe that it's possible. I believe God's waiting for a people to get so desperate that they won't settle for anything less. Let's, let's look at a man, a, a prophet, a righteous man who had passion and vision. I think we've got a scripture to go up here. Can we read it together? In the year that King Isaiah died, high and exalted, seated on a throne, 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, and ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. And we'll stop there. Hallelujah. Powerful words. Isaiah is one of the, the big four prophets in the Old Testament. This amazing guy, he lived such a righteous life before God and his wife and got up to all sorts of escapades with God. And yet here we are, well into his ministry. And King Isaiah, who's basically a good egg, you know, he, he was a, one of the, the better kings. And they had some rotters, didn't they, in Judah. He was one of the better kings and he's dying. So Isaiah is in a stage of, of huge change. The king who's been ruling the kingdom and who Isaiah would minister with and for and, and he knew Isaiah, they'd worked out how things were going to happen, how he was going to minister. He's dying, and who knows what the successor is going to be like. Sometimes change is God's tool to bring up what's hidden on the inside of us. Amen? Most of us resist change. We, we say yes to change, but in our hearts, we struggle with it. The people who like change the most, I've noticed, are evangelists. They just seem to thrive on it. They're forever cha- Everything's changing all the while. They're off here. They're over there. They, they, you can't keep up with them. It's exhausting just to hear what's uh, on their hearts. But most of us like a bit of stability, don't we? Most of us like security. Most of us like to know what's going on. Is that true? We say yes to change. We want the outcome of what God is offering, but we resist the process. God knows how to get those things on the inside of us, that are hidden from everybody, including ourselves sometimes. And Isaiah, this great man of God, he also had some things hidden from his own sight. Do you mind if we get the first few verses up again? So first of all, Isaiah is given an immortal vision. I mean, he's a man who, vision is his stock in trade. That's what, he's a prophet. He's supposed to hear God. He's supposed to see God. That's his job. And here he is. Having this vision. I saw the Lord. We all need a vision where we can say, I saw the Lord. Where we could say, like David and like Paul, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Have you got a vision of Jesus? Have you seen the pearl of great price? Do you know what he looks like? (laughs) If we're passionate about him, we'll ask him to reveal himself to us over and over again. Amen? It's not selfish, it's not carnal, I think it's a righteous response to having a God who wants to be known by his people. (laughs) He wants to be intimate with us. 
So here we have Isaiah having a vision of the, the holiness of God. I think the fear of the Lord is such a powerful thing. And um, I think you've, you've probably got it here, but I, I go to churches and I think, where is the fear of the Lord? See, it's not about everything being neat and tidy. It's in the heart. It's a reverence and awe for a holy God. He is, he is other than us, amen? He's not like us. He's not human. And we're, we're, we're designed to be one with him and he's not changing. So the change needs to come our end of the equation, amen? And that comes as we realize that he is holy, he is other, he is wonderful. This isn't a, f- a kind of fear of the Lord where we run away from him and we tremble and we shake. We ask for the rocks to fall on us. No, this is a fear of the, God, of the Lord that draws us closer to him. Because we can't be anywhere else, amen? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else for me. There's nowhere else for you. Amen? (laughs) But to run closer, to run deeper into his heart, with every experience, with every trial, to run deeper into into God's heart. So, here we have the holy angels, and all they can say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They're not bored up there in heaven. You know, they're not, it's not on repeat. They're not swinging a prayer wheel. This is a fresh revelation of people living in in his holy presence. Every time they see him, They're staggered, they're overwhelmed by his holiness, by his glory. Can we do with that vision every day? How holy he is, how other he is, how glorious he is. It will transform our lives. We have this mysterious detail. The train of his robe filled the temple. I'd always kind of in my heart understood that that sounds nice and I kind of think I know what it means. But what does it mean? Let me give you an interesting historical insight. When a a historic king or chieftain or, or leader would defeat his enemy after the battle, there'd be carnage on the battlefield, and he'd go out and he'd take a knife and he'd find the, the, the chief person on the opposing side, the king, the, the, the leader, whoever it might be, and he would take a slice off of his, off of his cloak. It's interesting, isn't it, when David took a slice off of, of uh, Saul's cloak. But then he would take that fragment of the victorious king's cloak, and he would sew it, or he'd have one of his minions do this, no doubt, they would sew it onto the bottom of his cloak, of his robe, and it would get longer and longer and longer according to the battles that he won. The more victories, the longer your train was, until the train fills the temple. His victory is absolute, it's complete, it's, it's insurmountable. You can't get a bigger victory than God has already won. Here's a picture of the cross in Isaiah. The train fills the temple. Well, what are we called in Scripture? We're temples of the Holy Spirit. So his victory has rolled out inside our spirits and it is absolute. It is complete. Amen. There's something on the inside of us, something in our spirits that says, God is victor. He has done it. Our experience, (coughs) excuse me, getting too passionate. Our experience will often tell us something different, but the reality is, Our spirits know his victory is total. It deals with our past, present, future, eternity. It's complete. It fills the temple. That's something that someone like me needed to hear. and needed to get a revelation of God in his son on the cross has defeated death, hell, sin and the grave. It's a total victory. Game, set and match. There's nothing can be done about that in in the enemy dominion. Amen? It's a total victory. And God is waiting for his people to have a vision, to have an understanding. 
that it's done, it's finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. His victory is absolute. Now here's the thing. I was brought up in an evangelical church where I was told it's all done at the cross. It's absolutely finished. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be wallowing around in all this depression and misery and everything else. It was done at the cross, but it needed to be appropriated in my life. We have a, a house, that, if you like, in our spirits, and it's full of squatters. And Jesus needs to, needs to come into every room and drive out those squatters. The cross has done it all, but we need to appropriate the victory of the cross into our lives. Amen? I was left powerless, impotent. You know, I worshipped a God that didn't really exist. He was just kind of a weak, limp chap that never really broke through for me. It's because I was worshipping the wrong God. I didn't have a revelation that his train fills the temple. He has defeated all the powers of darkness forever. That deserves a hallelujah, doesn't it? I needed that. I needed the revelation of that in my life. I needed a revelation of a victorious king who was holy but was also my father. He's a holy father. Abba, father. Someone who cared enough to reach down out of heaven Someone who cared enough to send his son to bleed, to sweat drops of blood, to be tortured on a cross so that I didn't have to be tortured anymore by the enemy. I didn't have to be pressed anymore. The pain, the the cross around, sorry, not the cross, the thorns around his head, the psychological pain, the psychological warfare that the enemy wants to inflict, afflict us with, Jesus paid the price for that so we can be free in our minds. Hallelujah. Free in the spirit of our minds. We can think. Thoughts that are Jesus' thoughts. We can be free from accusation. We can be free from despair. We can think thoughts that bring life and hope and dignity to us and to other people. So secondly, Isaiah then had an internal vision. He's looking up. You can't spend long looking at Jesus without seeing yourself reflected in his eyes. And the reflection we see there is very different from the reflection we see in the world and from certain people around us who have always looked at us in a particular way. And that's often told us who we are, and it's not really who we are. It's a false identity. But when we look into the eyes of Jesus, we can see ourselves perfectly. When we look into his word, we see ourselves in a mirror. We can see who we really are and who we're meant to be. And he loves us so much, he accepts us as we are, but he won't leave us as we are. He leads us on from victory to victory. Amen? Thanks be to God who... Always, not sometimes, always leads us in triumph through Christ Jesus and spreads everywhere the fragrance through us, I should say, the fragrance of the knowledge of him. I want that kind of perfume coming off my life. People having a revelation of Jesus just because I'm in the room. Or not because I'm in the room, but but Jesus is in the room. Amen? (laughs) So he had an internal vision. This is a righteous man. This is a man who's ministered for many years, trusted with the things of God ministered in the presence of God. Woe is me, death to me, from a man of unclean lips, and from a people of unclean lips. Interesting how important what we say is. That was the the acid test of holiness on his life. And he's in despair. I think the devil wants to bring us to despair and destruction, but God also has to bring us to a place of despair in ourselves, in our own strength and our own ability, and even in other people, so that we will finally place our hope totally, unreservedly upon his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other sacrifice for sin. There is no other place to find lasting freedom than the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you might not have come from the place I've come from, but 
I'm sure you've experienced it to some degree. I know there is no other way for people to be saved and healed and delivered. It's from the cross. I think we have a picture in in this vision of the cross. I think the altar represents the cross of Jesus ahead of time. It says, and I've forgotten where, Jesus was crucified for us before the foundation of the world. I find that fascinating. The cross was always eternally in the heart of God. And the altar here in Isaiah's vision, I think it represents the cross. And one of the holy angels takes a fiery coal and he comes and presses it to his lips. It's like a, he's bringing the cross forward to Isaiah. The cross, even in this Old Testament vision, is being brought forward and touching his life. The cross brings cleansing to our lives. We can be made holy like God. Amen? Do you agree with that? The cross washes us. The blood of Jesus washes us. We're made holy. We're made clean. We have a new nature. We're not like Adam anymore. It's normal for us to say, yes, God, I delight to do your will. It's a choice for us to sin. The enemy really messes with our minds on that and thinks, oh, we're still in that old nature and we're still pulled back to all the darkness and all the... No, Jesus has cut us free at the cross. And that life is available to us. It's going to cost us, but it's worth every bit of effort. Salvation is free. Hallelujah. Glorious. Discipleship will cost us everything. You want to be a disciple, it's going to cost you something. Anointing is going to cost you something. (laughs) It's going to cost me something to carry it. Isaiah carried anointing. And here he is having a bigger revelation of who God is. I think, in a way, God is sharing the cross with him. He's bringing fiery coal from the altar. In a way, Jesus is that fiery coal from the altar. He's touching him. He's cleansing him. He's making him fit for service. So that he can go out and boldly proclaim the news to God's people. They need to hear. It's an external vision. As he's looked inside, see the wonderful thing with uh, Jesus is, I've, I've received some very hard um, comments from God. You, know, you need to deal with your jealousy. You need to deal. And it's come. And if any human being had said that, how dare you speak to me like that? I don't have jealousy. You leave me. I didn't ask you to speak into my life. But because Jesus spoke it, it came with so much love. I could say, yes, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry, God. I can see it. It's like a filthy stain coming through <laughs> all the years. I can see how it's operated. I can see how it's, it's kept me from certain relationships. I can see how it's made me suspicious and fearful. I repent. I'm so sorry. God. I see it. If Jesus shows us something, it comes with grace and truth. Human beings will tell you for free where you're going wrong, won't they? Don't have to, as a, and as a pastor, I mean, people will queue up and tell you. You know, you don't have to go, they'll tell you where you're going wrong. I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you're lovely, encouraging people all the time. <laughs> but when Jesus brings his spotlight, when he brings that, that word, I want to set you free, it's because I love you. He disciplines, it says in um, Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves as sons. If you want to be a son rather than a slave, it took me a long time to become a son rather than a slave and to relate to God out of sonship rather than legalism and, and serving him and all of that works-based salvation. Um, if we want to be sons, the discipline comes on our life harder. But we thank God for that. We thank God because he's purifying us, because he loves us enough to change us, set us free to go from one degree of glory to another. I don't want to be where I was last year. I don't want to be wherever I am this time next year in the same place. I want to have more the revelation of Christ on my life. I want to have more glory, more faith. (laughs) And I'm not speaking out of a vacuum. It's being tested, severely tested. 
but I want to find Jesus in it. I want to plow deeper into his heart, know more of him. Have that fiery coal brought from the altar to touch my lips so I can speak. You know, God wants people to proclaim his kingdom. But we've had in this world too many people proclaiming the kingdom of God and leading, leading secret lives of sin. And they come crashing down from a high pedestal. And, wow, God, how could that happen? This person we looked up to. Well, we always need the cross in our lives. Whatever stage we get to, we always need the word of God in our lives. We always need fresh vision. Amen? You might have a vision that you're holding on to that defines your life. It's a lifetime vision. But that doesn't mean we can't have regular visions of who Jesus is. Every time we worship, let's expect Jesus to reveal himself in a new way. Let's expect him to show another facet of who he is. He's got, I worked it out. In fact, I didn't, I googled it. But uh, (laughs) 363 names of God in the Bible. One for every day. Of the year. Fascinating, isn't it? It's not that he's divided in his personality, it's a diamond. Jesus is a diamond that God holds up, and every day it's turned slightly, or the light is different outside, and we see a different glory in who Jesus is because the light is reflecting his nature differently. Amen? It's not that he's always changing, it's that we're changing to become more like God, and he can trust us with more revelation of who he is. I want to know Jesus as well as I possibly can in this life. I'm sure you do too. As he deals with our broken, sinful state, and wherever our starting point, I mean, mine was in the bottom of the pit, but yours might have been, you might have had a functional life. You might have had a good job. You might be, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder, whatever it is. But the reality is we all need Jesus just as much. Amen? We all need his cross. We all need his blood to wash us. He's no respecter of persons. Nobody's any better than anybody else. (laughs) The only one who's better is Jesus, and he's more than better, he's perfect. And he is the only way to the Father, is through the sacrifice of Jesus. So let's get to know Jesus as well as we possibly can. And and there's, there's no hesitation on his part. He wants to reveal himself to us. We're asking him to do something that he already wants to do. Let's expect him to respond to that. So external, Isaiah now, having been cleansed, having had the inner sin and brokenness dealt with by the cross, his gaze turns outward. We can't spend long with Jesus without him extending his scepter and pointing out to this lost and broken world we live in. Full of dysfunction, full of pain, full of people wearing masks. And Jesus says, I love them and you love me, so I want you now to love them with my love. We have a kind of a a vision statement. It's tiny, really, for our church, and I think yours is probably quite similar. It's loving God, loving people. Let's keep it simple. As we love God, he will fill our hearts with enough love that we can love people around us. However obnoxious they may be, and I'm not looking at anybody as I say that, but the other other people, the other obnoxious people, uh, the the people out there, you know, they need someone who's going to love them even when... They're trying to push us away. They're trying to reject us. They're trying to reject Jesus. They want to agree at the moment with the devil and his darkness because it gives them an identity, a warped identity, but an identity. There's no hopelessness in heaven. There's no lack of, there's no unbelief in heaven. Faith is the only language God understands. And we need to, I need to bring to him faith that he is big enough to love people back to life through me. And through you. Amen.
So, can we move on to the next? Oh, here we go. We're there, actually. Um, Just verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? God, in his magnificent wisdom, has, has limited himself to working through three free will followers on the face of the earth. Yes, occasionally he can speak through a donkey or through, through nature, but by and large, he has limited himself to speak to his creation through man, made in the image of God, the, the, the supreme creation of God. You're the supreme creation of God. I'm the supreme creation of God. When God made man, he said it was very good. Everything else is good. When he made us, he said it's very good. We're made in the image of God. God limits himself to working through people who gladly, freely, joyfully serve him and give their lives in passion to follow the vision that he has given them. It's a life of destiny. It's a life of dignity. It's a life that is, God just wants to pull the greatness out of each and every one of us. Now, wherever you're coming from, you've probably felt the, the attempts, you felt the, the darkness of the enemy trying to squash greatness in you, trying to squash Destiny, because I'm squashed, to live a narrow life, to live a mean life. I'm always challenged by that verse in the epistles. Be generous on every occasion. And we tend to go straight to money, don't we, with generosity? Because we're, as humans, we're quite money-minded. But it's not just money, although it's a good indicator of where our hearts are at. It's a generous lifestyle. It's giving people time. It's praying for people when you, you really want to go to sleep, when you really want to have me time. It's a selfless life. It's a sacrificial life to be generous on every occasion, and it's only possible if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only possible if we're sustained by a vision that is greater than survival, greater than just living a life for, for now. And, and, you know, all the human things, having a pension, having a ha- buying a house, all the things that are not wrong in themselves, but we have a greater vision than that. Amen? The bigger the change, the greater the reward. God wants to reward his people. And what greater reward can there be than seeing people come to a knowledge of Jesus and say, come on in. Come to the kingdom. It's glorious. It's wonderful. You can get healing. You can get deliverance. You can have a destiny. You can have a dignity on your life that you couldn't have dreamt of. Jesus wants to pull the greatness out of us. We've all got it there by his grace. He wants to find it, locate it, and pull it up on the inside of us and push out all the narrowness, all the meanness, all the you know, the, the humanity, the old nature. If we've been set free by the cross, Jesus wants us to daily pick up our cross and follow him. Paul said he was crucified to the world. The world had been crucified to him. There was no power in the world anymore. It, it, it was dead to him to seduce him, to pull him back into worldly ways and worldly ways of, of, of thinking and, and, and the acquisition. God wants to, to break that in us. It's an infernal vision. People are going to hell if they don't receive Jesus. I don't know, I don't want to be, I don't know what the orthodoxy is here, but I believe in a literal hell. Jesus spoke about it a lot. I don't believe Jesus was playing picture games. It's a real place. We really want to see people saved from it. I felt like I was dangling over hell at at some points, and I thought, goodness me, if this is what it's like just to be tasting the air, what would it be like to be in there for eternity? I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I want drag as many people into the kingdom of God for eternity as possible. If we don't have that in our hearts, we've got to go back to the cross and see the price that that Jesus paid to buy our freedom. So it's an infernal vision. I believe people are going to hell. They need Jesus. They need the kingdom of God preached to them. 
How can they hear? How can they respond unless the gospel is actually preached? Whatever form that takes, they've got to be able to hear it to be able to repent. This, this kind of, well, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of words <laughs> and power. The gospel has to be preached. Amen? In any way we can find to do it. So it's an infernal vision. People are going to hell unless they have Jesus, unless they can receive his life. Ephesians 3, verses 18 and 19 says this. Paul's praying for the the church. May they have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I've got this thing in my heart to claim a soul for every hour of depression, every hour of torment, every hour of shame that the enemy put on me. Give me a soul for Christ. Let the let the kingdom of God be populated by people because the enemy sat on my head and he was so mean and nasty and relentless and now I've found Jesus and I know Jesus. I want to let him. Paul, the apostle, watched Stephen be stoned to death and the enemy thought he'd won a great victory. I mean, I sometimes think, he was amazing, Stephen. What? He was cut down in his prime. It was a waste of a life. Well, Jesus died at age 33. <laughs> The whole of the Greek-speaking world was evangelized by Paul, who sat there and witnessed, held the cloaks of everybody while they stoned Stephen. Stephen's death was not in vain. Paul had a revelation of Christ. He saw, I think he saw Jesus as he looked at Stephen, and something was sown into his heart that changed him, and then he was knocked off his donkey or his horse and had a revelation of Christ. Where would we be without the ministry of Paul? Where would we be? We don't want anyone to go to hell, do we? It's a vision of holiness. God is a holy God. He's different than us. He wants us to be one with him, but the change has to be our end of the equation. It's a vision of hellishness. People are going to go there. Even the most righteous, the righteous acts, your righteous acts, my righteous acts, are filthy rags before God. We must have the cross. We must have Jesus. And it's a vision of helplessness. As I know, he's powerless to change himself, to change the people around him without God intervening in his life. That's a wonderful revelation to have. It's a wonderful revelation to launch us into complete dependence on Christ. So here I am, God, broken, tossed on a rubbish heap, rejected, shamed. All that you could add words from your list. But here I am, God, saved by grace, made whole by the work of the cross. Here I am, send me. If you can do anything through my life, then here I am, God, I'm available to you. So my my challenge and my prayer and my encouragement for you today is to seek God. You've got passion, but seek God. Seek God until he gives you a vision. Do whatever it takes. You know, fast, pray, whatever works for you. Fasting and prayer is a very quick route to to hearing God. But however you relate to God, because we all relate to him slightly differently, albeit through the cross, but slightly different. You know how God speaks to you. Find a way to get before God until he gives you that vision. Until you can look with the eyes of Christ at a broken world and see his kingdom breaking loose and transforming, changing. We can have heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. After all, Jesus taught us to pray that way, didn't he? Lord Jesus, thank you 
that, Lord, our passion is never misplaced. Our worship is never misplaced when it's focused on Jesus Christ. It's the best thing we can do with our, our strength, our energy, our worship. It's never wasted. But Lord, also, give us a vision. Give us your vision. Show us what's real. Lord, we see with our carnal eyes, we see with our human eyes, but show us what you see, Lord God. Because very often it's different from what we're seeing. Set us on fire, Lord God, for your kingdom. Change this, change this town, change this county through your people here who say, yes, here we are, Lord God. Send us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.